name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. So I wanted uh, today for us to just have a little bit of a discussion about um, serving people that we find difficult to serve. Some people we find very easy to serve. Some people we find very difficult. We find it very difficult to serve. Jesus had 12 disciples. He washed all of their feet. He didn't only wash the feet of those that were easy for him to wash their feet. He even washed the feet of those who protested that he wash his feet, namely St. Peter. And he convinced him, like he spoke to him in the way that worked, that, like, that, that he was able to understand. And he spoke to him in, in the way he was able to kind of to communicate with him. And he made it work. So uh, I think, you know, taking Jesus as our example, we need to do the same. But I thought maybe we could start off just by sharing. And this isn't, uh, you know, just an, oh, a quick disclaimer. Uh, I'm not talking about any, any one person in particular. I'm not talking about uh, any uh, group of people, for example, people with disabilities or people with mental illness or people with same-sex orientation. Or Obviously, I'm not, the purpose of this is not to stereotype or to profile, but rather to, for us to share a little bit um, with each other the strategies that we have discovered that the Holy Spirit has taught each one of us about how to be like Jesus and to serve um, people, even the people that are a little bit more challenging, that we find a little bit more challenging to serve. Yes, Murray entered at the perfect time. So, um, why don't I open it up to you? Why do we find people difficult to serve sometimes? Okay. And they are not accepting anything from outside. And, and they, we have to call the executives and hear the executives. Even something it has to be really bad or it's a beautiful, really bad or dangerous or something like that. But it is So sometimes people who are self-centered, we find them difficult to serve. And this isn't in any way intended this discussion to make any of us self-conscious. Oh, am I self-centered sometimes? Do I, am I difficult to serve? Um, really, it's, it's rather... Because we'll find that for each one of these things, there is a remedy. There's some general or general remedies, but some specific remedies for some of these things. I've prepared a few, but I'm sure you guys will come up with things that I haven't thought of or didn't have a chance to prepare. Um, open it up to everybody. Why do we find people difficult to serve sometimes? We have a misconception, or they have a misconception, or either way. Misconceptions, okay. I'll just put that like that, and we'll kind of discuss things as they go.
sometimes the party doesn't realize necessarily that you don't have that many resources or you don't have that much time to spend with them, right? But you are kind of you really want to serve them, but you have other responsibilities, other things, and I think that's kind of. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes they might not understand us. Yeah. Or wrong expectations. And it can go both ways. So the question is why do we sometimes find some people difficult to serve? Because we love what we do? Uh, I'm not sure I understand. Explain. If somebody is doing something maybe that is wrong and they love what they're doing. So all of these things together, they bring me out of my comfort zone. Yeah. Some, some people, some ministries are very inconvenient. So... Um, when I lived in Vancouver, I used to do a sandwich run on Friday nights from 11.30 or midnight till about 1 or 2 in the morning. The reason being that um, the, same reason, the same reason that they do the, the breakfast at St. John's from uh, 5.30 a.m. till about 9. Because that's when you find the most marginalized of the marginalized. That's when you can serve the people that even people on the street don't want to be with. Like the people who are rejected by the people who are on the street, you know? They're really the, genuinely the poorest of the poor, not only in material terms, but in... So it's not convenient. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a real pain in the butt to be at St. John's at 5 a.m. in the morning, you know, to get out of bed at, what, 4.15 or something and take a shower and so on and, uh, you know, drive in the dark or... You know what I mean? So sometimes some services are highly inconvenient, just nature of the people whom, whom, we, whom we serve. Um, when I get uh, hospital calls or something at 2 in the morning, right? Uh, you know, it is what it is, right? But when 
you know, and we'll talk about all the remedies for these things. Like at least a few, a few, at least we'll touch on a few remedies for for some of these things. There we go. I'm new to this app. So, sorry you were saying? Um, it's the thing going with inconvenience is a My lack of commitment to service or the lack of commitment of the people whom I serve? So actually we're discussing why do we sometimes find service difficult or particularly why do we sometimes find some people more difficult to serve than others. Hmm? Yeah, more specifically, like we're talking specifically about, 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 like, uh, about people. Not spelled right at all, but you'll forgive me. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. I don't know how to summarize that, but yeah, some, sometimes serving, like, to, like for, for me to say, I could never serve prostitutes, but, but that's just something in my head, like if I got that out of my head, that limiting belief out of my head, I would do just fine, um, or, 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 or whatnot, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Thank God. Thank God. Do you ever feel like? Oh, go ahead, Ashley. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. No, 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 go, no, no.
Mm-hmm. Personal baggage, my own or other people's, yeah. Okay. Um, well, this gives us uh, somewhere to start, right? So, next, you know what I'm going to ask you next. Um, what, what are the strategies or the things you've done to try to, 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 to serve someone who you found difficult to serve? You can pick any of the things that are up here, or you can... I just say something. Let me let me tell a story. I'll tell you a story because I feel that maybe 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 some of maybe some of us feel that this is a a, a wrong conversation to have, or maybe um, you could feel that this is highly politically incorrect. Let me just break all political correctness boundaries now and make you all feel better. When I was, I think I told this story before, I think I told it in, in, in one of our Sunday series recently, maybe a month ago or something. Uh, when I was uh, about 13 or 14, my mom was my Sunday school class teacher, which was, you know, a terror of its own. Um, and um, because I drove her crazy uh, and uh, and I've that, that that's how I mean a terror. I wasn't terrified. I think it's it's my my poor mother. Um, and um, uh, there was there was a, a, a another boy came to Sunday school once, and my mom introduced me to him, and his name was yeah, Joe. That is not Joe, but just call him Joe. And um, there's something funny about him. Something wasn't quite right. Um, but I couldn't really put my finger on what it was, and my mom told me, you know, it would be really good if you could kind of become friends with him, because I don't think he has a lot of friends, and he doesn't have, he's new to church, so he doesn't have any friends here at all. So I said, sure, no problem. So, uh, um, he lived in another city, uh, but they don't have a church there, so the closest church to them was ours, 45, 50 minutes away, not too far away. So, uh, so they didn't always come, so if he didn't come, I would call him, i try to call him in the middle of the week. And, um, you know, we talk awkwardly, like as 14-year-old boys would, right? For like, you know, five, six minutes, seven minutes, ten minutes. Uh, and then he, uh, he would, almost every phone call, he would say something to me like, um, like, why are you calling me? Like, don't you have anything better to do with your time? Or, or uh, why are you, he'd often call me a loser. Why are you such a loser? He'd ask me if I had uh, friends at school or I only had friends at church. I told him most of my friends were um, from church. I had a couple of friends from school, but I didn't really like like most of the people at school, or I didn't feel like I fit in with them very well. 
but my best friend was like my neighbor actually, and he's French Canadian. He said, "Oh, that's interesting. But why are you such a loser? Why are all your friends from church like they're just your friends because they have to be because like you have to be nice to people at church, right? And that's why you're being nice to me." Anyhow, I was only able to tolerate this abuse for a certain period of time. I can't remember how long, maybe four months, six months, eight months, something like that. Eventually, I told my mom that said, I've had it. I'm never calling this guy again. I never want to see his face again. She said, try and this and that and so on and, you know, just try and so on. And I told her, no, forget it. Like, I don't care what happens to him. So I don't know if that's what I said or not, but that's like, anyways, that's where I was at. Anyhow, um, he stopped coming to church. I stopped asking about him. And that was that. I bumped into him in college, and um, he, uh, he asked me if I wanted to go out with him and some of his friends for his birthday or something. So I said, sure, no problem, and I kind of forgot about it. And he called me like the night before something reminded me. So I went, and I actually found that he had like friends, or people came anyways. I was the only one from our, uh, like the people from church who was there. Um, and he had these people he had met at school, and... Um, and I was really worried that they were like taking advantage of him because uh, he, he was really book smart, but not very socially smart at all. Um, and so I kind of like was, had a really keen eye. I just wanted to make sure they weren't like no one was taking advantage of him or anything. And actually I found that no, like these people seem to actually genuinely like him, which I was very shocked to, <laughs> to, 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 to find, right? Um, and then... Uh, a little, a little later, uh, he called me up again and said, you know, we should, let's meet up and let's, you know, study together or something. I can't remember. So I said, sure, we did that. Um, and then, like, nothing happened. A couple of years later, we met up again once or something. I moved away. Um, and uh, I got, once I was talking to my mom, and she told me, hey, guess who uh, comes to church, like, all the time now? I said, who? She said, Joe. I was like, Joe who? She's like, Joe so-and-so, she's his last name, and I knew for sure who he was from his last name. I was like, really? That's interesting. She goes, yeah, he's a deacon too. I said, oh, that's great. That's excellent. She goes, yeah, and he's like really enthusiastic. I said, well, that's, that's great. Like I had no, at this point, I had no hard feelings, you know. Uh, I, was, I was happy, you know, for him. And then uh, a couple of months later, my mom goes to me, you know, guess who is like the first person at church every Sunday? I'm like, who? She goes, Joe. I was like, really? That's great. And then uh, she said uh, to me, guess who leads the service on Sundays? I was like, who? She said, Joe. And I don't know if you've ever been to some of the, maybe some of you have and some of you haven't been to some of the, like, the larger Coptic churches. Like, my, like the church I grew up in is probably about half or three quarters the size of Mississauga. It's massive. Um, people are like hanging out the windows and stuff, right? Um, in these churches, the guy who leads the service is the same guy who's lead, been leading the service for the last 300 years, right? And the only thing that's going to bring him away from the microphone is his casket, right? So, right? Like, let's be honest, right? That's kind of how, how things roll in, in a lot of churches. People have a role. Uh, I'm, I'm just joking. I know him very well. He's my really close friend's father, and I actually admire him very, very much, the guy who used to lead our deacons. Because uh, similar to the guys who lead our deacons, he's actually really, really humble and would often put other people forward. And that's probably how Mark ended up there. Because I remembered, I only remember right now, I'm telling you the story, guess who was co-serving our Sunday school class when my mom was my servant? That, that guy who led the deacons at that time. 
So uh, he's the one who probably told him, come dress, come early, come at 7.30 before the priest gets here and I'll just show you a few things and so on. And he's probably the one who told him, why don't you lead and so on. Now he's the one who leads the deacons oftentimes. Um, and I tell you, my biggest regret was not all the horrible things I just said now, um, but was that I didn't, I didn't stick it through. Like, this guy was running a marathon, and at like, you know, mile 14, I just kind of said, forget it, you know? And I didn't wait to see him cross the finish line. I heard that he crossed the finish line, but I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't, I wasn't there. I didn't see it with my own two eyes. So I regret that. I'm not, I'm not one of those people who's going to sit here and tell you I have no regrets in life. If I have to do it all over again, I do it exactly the same way. No, I, like, I, and I don't wallow in remorse either. Um, like, like, I made a mistake. I learned from it. But I'm not going to go and say that mistake was a good thing. It was a good thing in, in so much that it taught me to do different. But, uh, but no, it was, a mis- it was a mistake. It was a mistake to give up. For sure it was. Uh, and the price I paid was that I never got to see him cross the finish line. I only got to hear about it, right? Uh, imagine what my joy would have been to have seen him of his own accord starting to just come to church and then starting to get involved with the diaconate and then start leading the deacons and so on, you know? Anyhow. So, uh, and he's still kind of socially awkward, like nothing's changed, you know? Right? Um, but, uh, so yeah, some people are difficult, some people are difficult to serve. Um, um, and uh, I don't know if they, it's, they're difficult to serve or I'm the one who's having difficulty serving them or if maybe it's a bit of both. We don't want to put the shame, blame, and guilt rarely help anybody. So this isn't about putting blame or guilt anywhere. But I hope that story makes you feel that, I hope that story makes you feel that, uh, that it's okay. It's okay to feel that things are difficult. It's, um, and even if you give up, know that others have as well. Right? All service is bigger than my size, though. I'd love to say his service is bigger than my size, but I, I'm, completely, I'm completely useless to Christ, but for his power. Yeah. So, and with his power, I can do anything. I think one issue, aside from all of these very specific concerns, is sometimes I insert myself into a service, or Abuna inserts me into a service or whatever, in which maybe God had not intended for me to be there. So God always gives us, there's a, like a this famous quote I quote all the time, God's work done God's way will never lack God's resources. So people oftentimes come to me and tell me, Abuna, does the church need money? No, no, it doesn't. You know, uh, but what, like, you know, can, do we have, we should really do a big renovation. Do we have money for it? No, no, we don't actually. Uh, right? But when we come to do it, God will provide if, if that's what God wants us to do, right? But if we start doing things God didn't want us to do, well, maybe we'll find ourselves in want, right? Naturally. So the same is true for patience and stamina and love. But there's things that we can do to nurture love. So we'll talk about that, those things specifically. I want to I stop talking for a moment. I want to go back to hearing from you. What are the kinds of things you do when you feel that is someone is not giving you an easy time? either at St. John's uh, or on a sandwich run, a casual encounter that's going to happen once 
and never, you know, you're never going to meet this person again, or somebody that you, um, that you really try to show practical love to on a weekly basis, daily basis, whatever it may be. What do you do? Sorry? Praying. Praying at home, praying at the altar. Yeah. We'll talk a lot. We'll talk, we'll talk a lot about that. What do you do when you pray? Do you do anything particular when you pray for people that, or pray about service or pray when, when, when things aren't easy? I'm not looking for a particular answer. I just want to learn from you. Pray is very general. You are very. You are actually quite specific, Tantrajet. You said pray at the altar. I like that. Sometimes when I pray and I don't know what to say, I do what Tantrajet just said. I look for characters in the Bible who went through a similar thing. I often find myself, uh, uh, you know, referring to Daniel in the lion's den somehow, right? <laughs> um, right? Um, either that I feel like I'm in the lion's den or I feel like this person is in the lion's den, you know? Or sometimes I find myself praying... Like about when Israel, uh, the Israelites were, were, were on their journey to the promised land after Moses took them out of Egypt and they were traveling through Moab. And as they're traveling through Moab, the king of Moab is terrified of these people and so are all of his armies because so far everywhere they've went, you know, miraculous things have been happening for them to, uh, uh, around them, you know. Not the least of which was all of the plagues that happened in Egypt. Egypt was like the superpower of the time, you know. And these shepherd hillbillies, you know, crushed Pharaoh. It was like, a, a, like a, it was, it was, they, they had every right to be terrified. So he, he, he tries to hire this uh, pagan prophet Balaam to curse them. And he tries multiple times to curse them. And every time he tries to curse them, God puts the words in his mouth to bless them. The king of Moab gets infuriated is I'm paying you money so you can curse them so they won't you know overcome us right so and then you bless them so try again and pays them more and like that right and what I love the most about this story is that the people of Israel are completely oblivious to what's going on the whole story happens between this pagan prophet and the king of Moab on on on, on mountaintops and they were looking down at the people of Israel as they're walking through Moab or walking beside Moab or whatever, and they have the slightest clue, right? So sometimes when I feel like I'm going through the lion's den or someone else is going through the lion's den uh, and they're completely oblivious of the danger that they're in, sometimes I pray and say, Lord, as you protected Israel, you know, as you protected them from being cursed by Balaam, as you protected them, as you stood by them, they were completely, had no clue what you were doing for them. And I am completely, have no clue what you're doing for me. Please, Lord, protect these people. So sometimes, yeah, examples from the Bible can inspire us and, and enrich our, our prayers. Or not, yeah, in the history of the church, equally. 
Yeah, Lord, as you, as you worked in the life of St. Moses, as you worked in the life of St. Catherine, work in the life of this person, yeah. St. Mary the Copt, yeah, absolutely. What are other, uh, what are other things that you do? Take a step back. That sounds really good. What else? And then I come to church, right, where I'm supposed to find peace with God and peace with people, and I have problems, right? Why do people find it more, we talked about this maybe a couple months ago or something, why do, we, why do people find it more spiritual to take a walk in the forest than to stand in church and receive Holy Communion? Why are they more in, more in communion with God in the forest than they are with, in communion with God at the altar table? Because there's no one irritating their communion with God, right? There's no one breaking your silence. Uh, you know, like, all day today, God, God, God bless her, like, right? Anna, my daughter, wanted to play with me. Like, she just, she just woke up from the first moment. Some days, she, I could be the, the mailman, right? Like, right? But today, the one day that I needed to sit and, you know, prepare and think, and, you know, she wanted to play with me, right? So I'd work a little, play with her a little, work a little. What are you going to do, right? So uh, sometimes, yeah, people come and they, they, no matter how much we love them, but they are interrupting what we're, what we're, what we're here to do. Like come to church and, you know, come to church, do my service, do the thing that I'm offering to God and leave, right? And I find noise and interruptions, irritations. Oh, like the, the straw that broke the camel's back kind of thing. Like this added to this, added to this, added to this. Yeah. Yeah. these uh, big churches priests sometimes will sit on a Saturday night and hear confessions for like four or five hours right so uh, once I walked up to my previous father of confession who's now gone on to heaven and I asked him how do you how do you keep your peace sitting there for four or five hours listening to all this stuff people have done you know like how do you not go lose your mind you know how do you come to church on Sunday and you're actually able to pray and he said that at that time I was in college and I used to play rugby. He said, he told me, do you still play rugby? I said, yeah. And he told me, what happens if you hang on to the ball for too long? He said, I told him, you get tackled. 
right? So the whole premise, the whole premise of advancing the ball in rugby is the, it's like a, the defense, the way you play defense in rugby is like it's zone, not man, right? Like, so you're, you're each person is covering, each person who's playing defense is covering an area. If I can get, now we're on the offense, I have the ball. If I can get somebody to tackle me, we're both going to go down, leaving a hole in the defense. So if I can get somebody to tackle me and hand the ball off as I'm going down, there's a hole in the defense, that guy can run through the hole and so on, right? So that you're not meant to hold on to the ball forever. If you hold on to the ball forever, you get tackled and your team will lose. So Abuna kind of gave me that. He said, every time somebody says something to me, I just pass it on to God. I just toss it up to God. He said, oftentimes, I don't even let the thought pass through my mind. I just say, Lord, what Abram just said. Lord, what Abram just said. Lord, help Abram with what he just said. Lord, be with Abram and what he just said. Lord, stand with Abram. Lord, help him. You know, right away. Like, I don't even say, like, Lord, help Abram with his uh, impatience. So, like, you know, like, because it's none of my business. It's between you and God. I'm just here as a witness and as a, someone to pray for you and intercede for you, right? So, uh, I learned a lot from that. And that was, the conversation was like uh, 20 years ago when I never thought I would be the one sitting and hearing confessions. Um, but that idea of not keeping the burdens, you know, like because they're not my burdens to carry, for one thing, I constantly try to remind myself that you know your problem better than I know your problem. And you don't know what to do with your problem. And I'm not that much smarter than you, despite that sometimes I think I am. But in reality, like all things considered, you know, I'm probably not that much smarter than anybody. So, what makes me think I'm going to know what to do with your problem, right? So, let me just take your problem and give it to the person who knows what to do with it, right? And the less time it spends with me, the quicker it goes to the guy who can deal with it. So, this kind of idea of just like hot potato, you know, just hand it off, just hand it off, just hand it off. So, that helps me a lot. Another thing that helps me, those of you who have come to me for spiritual guidance would uh, know that I, I say this all the time. Uh, one, one of two things that can improve, you, you know, your life with God, like, a lot, and doesn't require any effort. All it requires is scheduling. is to take a retreat day once a month with God. So, once a month, uh, I now as a priest, I try to do it once a week, but sometimes gets interrupted but I you know as a, when I was a lay person and working and busy and have all kinds of other social commitments and family commitments and so on once a month I would just carve out a day it was usually a Saturday a day that I wasn't working and that day was it was for God like and there is no like nothing could get scheduled on that day and at one point, I was, like gonna, I was gonna like uh, compromise and I was gonna schedule something in the morning or in the evening. And so I had the rest of the day, but just there was one thing. And I felt like almost like I was having a little conversation with God, like I didn't hear a voice or anything. But I felt like God was telling me, I don't know if it was God or not, or it was just my own ideas. Like if your sister's wedding was on that day, would you schedule this thing on that day? No. Right? If you had a midterm the day after your sister's wedding or a final or, or the biggest day of your life or a job interview or whatever, you would arrange to finish everything you need to finish before that day. Like that day is just off limits. You know what I mean? It's once in a lifetime. You know what I mean? She's my only sister. Like, 
whatever, I don't know, pick whatever important event, you know what I mean? That is going to consume the whole day. It consumes the whole day. That's it. It's scheduled. It's booked. That day is off limits, period, right? Um, and um, lots of people, when I, when I share this little um, spiritual exercise with people, they ask me, what do you do on that day? What do you do with a whole day with God? Well, naturally, I usually end up waking up a little later than I usually do, despite trying to wake up early. And I tell you, it honors God that we honor the body which he gave us to serve him with. It honors God that we honor the body that he gave us to serve him with. If I give you a tool and you take care of it, right? That means that whatever tool I gave you or for whatever reason I gave it to you or, or me, you, that is really important to you, right? Versus if you leave it lying around, you let it rust and so on. So... It's not necessarily such a, a bad thing. If you need a haircut, go get a haircut. If you need to, you know, without like, you know, uh, like, like being excessive about it, but a little bit of self-care that's kind of gone by the wayside, that's not a bad day to do it. And have something nice to eat. There's nothing wrong with that either. You know, again, not like, you know, I'm not like uh, ad, uh, advocating gluttony, but if you have like a nice breakfast or, or a nice lunch or something along the way, there's nothing wrong with that, right? But then let the rest of the time be for you to spend that time doing the things with God that you wished you could do all this time. So you're reading the Bible, you find questions, and you don't know the answer, but you don't have time to look it up right now because you have to get dressed and get ready and go to work or get after this or after that. Take that time to, 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 to read and find answers for those questions. There's a book that you picked up that you really want to read that you haven't had a chance. Now's the time. Bring it with you, right? So what I do between one little spiritual, you know, you know, retreat day with God and the next is I collect stuff, right? And I don't let it frustrate me that I, I really wish I could read this book, but I can't read it now. No, I really wish this re I could read this book and I'm going to read it in 10 days. I really wish I could look up answers for this. I'm going to read them in 10 days. I found this beautiful prayer and I started praying it, but it's like 20 pages long, right? And, uh, you know, like I, I just don't have the stamina to, to pray it all now. I'll pray it then, you know? I, I really wish I prayed my Igbeya faithfully and I prayed all the hours and I prayed them in their time and the first hour at 6 and the, ninth, the third hour at 9 a.m. and so on and so on. And I, that's really on my heart, something I really wish to offer God in worship. That's fine. You didn't have a chance to do it before? Do it then. If you take all of those things, all of those promptings of the Spirit that God prompted me to do over a month that I ignored, and trust me, there's a lot, for me anyways, and I collect them, I find I've got more than enough stuff to keep me busy for four, five, six hours, right? And if it's a Saturday, I would turn, I'd turn my phone off and I'd leave it off. I'd tell the you know, important people in my life that my phone is off, don't worry, I didn't like you know, fall off a cliff or die or fall asleep while I was driving or anything, I'm fine, you know? Uh, and then I'd come to Vespers and go stand in the back and just and pray, pray midnight praises and leave. It was a quiet day. Didn't talk to anybody, did nothing, you know? If you can find somewhere that's quiet and inspiring for you to go, that's great. Uh, if not, uh, come talk to me. I can suggest a whole bunch of different places that are easy to get to, uh, whether you drive or not. So that's one little practice that I do to, 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 to deflate, like you were saying. 
along with the daily, momentarily, you know, release of burdens. One other thing, there are thoughts that come to us all the time that are unpleasant, right? Um, they may be thoughts about ourselves, and they may be thoughts about others, it could be all kinds of things. The easiest thing to do to figure out what to do with these thoughts is to put them to the touchstone of Christ. I didn't know what a touchstone was until I read that word in a book once and I had to look it up in the dictionary. A touchstone um, was, this, was a rock with which, um, with which they were able to test, and I can't remember exactly how, whether gold was actually really gold or not. Right? I think they scratched the, gold, scratched the gold on it or something. I can't remember. But the point is, it's something which reveals to us the truth. There's one word, one word that you can insert into any thought and it will reveal to you immediately whether this thought is from God or not. Anyone can guess what it is? No, not rocket science at all. Jesus. Jesus. <sighs> so stupid. Jesus, I'm so stupid, right? One word changes it from self-talk to talking to God. <sighs> Fetty's so stupid. <sighs> Jesus, Fetty's so stupid, right? Automatically, you know, right? I might have allowed myself to say Fetty's so stupid in my head and carry on with my day. But the moment I put Jesus in there, it's very clear whether, what, whether that's something that God is smiling upon or whether that's something that God is saying, hmm, maybe you can do a little better than that, John. Right? So that's another thing that I do to not allow, to try, to, to not allow the burdens even to come into my life. A last thing about, about burdens. A while ago, and I've shared this with you before, but I'll just share it again very briefly. I learned this beautiful phrase coined by His Holiness Pope Shenouda, and it doesn't sound, doesn't translate well at all in English, so I'll just say it in Arabic and then I'll translate it word for word in English. He says, he says basically, how is this my business? Let me mind my own business. It would be the translation, right? Which is, Anamali Khalini Fhali, right? How is this my... Meli actually means like my wealth or my possession, you know? So how is this... How is this my business? Let me mind my own business, right? So I went around saying this, saying this phrase to myself all day long. And people would tell me this and people come gossip to me about that. And, and, and some problem or I'd see something in the news or something in politics or whatever. And it would upset me. And I just say this and I realize that... This phrase gave me so much peace. But then I started to feel a little complacent because basically I'm looking at everything and I'm like, none of my business, none of my business, none of my business, none of my, what is my business? And so I turned to God and I told God, what is my business? And I realized my business is actually really, really, really small. My business is about this big. In my business is me and my Jesus. And that's it. That's it. That's all. Me and my Jesus and my communion with Him, that's all that's my business. That's all I'm responsible for. That's all that's going to last to eternity. That's all I get to keep. That, that's all I get to take, take with me, right? In as much as being like we're doing the money series, being a faithful steward of the, of the finances God has, has, has entrusted to me to, to, to use currently or to, or to invest or to give or to do whatever he's given it with to me to do with in as much as it has to do with Jesus then it has to do with me 
then, it, then it's my business, right? But, you know, like, I've done the very best that I can do, and then there's still this problem, there's still this thing, there's still this, this, it's none of my business. Yeah, that's how I felt. After a while, I felt like I was really being very complacent. And that's what prompted me to pray and ask God, God, what is my business, right? So I realized, I realized that, that in as much, and because, so I'll give you another example. I, I have a practice that whenever somebody asks me to pray for them, and trust me, it happens a multitude of times in a day, I do my very best to write their name down and to pray for them. Now, after a while, after a while, the list gets a little long, you know, right? Now, the list, you're going to look at it and you're going to say, that's, that doesn't look so long, that doesn't look so long, John. And I'll tell you, yeah, that's because after a while, I'll tell you the truth, I'm being very honest with you, right? We're being honest today, right? Hopefully every day. But today, anyways, we're being honest, right? Honestly, I started to get very overwhelmed. Because the list is endless. Like, no joke, easily in a day, I get about 200 text messages a day, all right? Some of them are from the same person, not 200 different people, sometimes like eight messages back and forth to somebody, right? But whatever, right? At least every one of those people asked me to pray for them. Then the people I meet, then the people I talk to, then the people, and which is not a bad thing. In fact, that's, that's like, that's, that's my, that's my, that's how I earn my living, that's like my bread and butter, right? So I'm not complaining. But after a while, like if I'm going to be faithful, like so I asked my spiritual father and he told me, just when somebody tells you pray for, pray for me, just pray for them in that moment and then trust that God will take care of them. So you tell me pray for me, Lord, help Ashley with all that's on her heart. Say from all your heart and forget about it, right? Honestly, I felt like that was a bit of a cop-out because all my, I've been doing this since I was like 14 or something. Somebody asked me to pray for them, I write their name down. I pray for them every morning, every evening, three or four times in every liturgy. That's what I do, right? But now that I'm a priest, it like got, like it exploded. So I was praying about this and I asked my spiritual father, he told me, you asked me, and I told you what I do. So like what I, I, I mean, like I didn't tell you something. He told me like, like, I don't know, this is my advice. Like it, like it, you don't like it, figure it out yourself, right? And, and politely, of course, right? So I'm praying in the liturgy once, and I felt, again, like God's just telling me, take everybody's names, put them on the altar, and leave them there. So I started doing that. So I started taking my prayer list, writing them all down, and I put them on the altar, and I leave them there, right? And I just reset the list every week. What I'm, I took this as an example, Auntie Sue, to say that it's impossible for me to pray for every single person who asks me to pray for them, from when I was 14 years old until, until my, the day I die, right? Like, it's just physically impossible, right? So where, where, where are we going to draw? We have to draw the line somewhere, right? What I realized is that sometimes, and this happens to me all the time, God puts it really on my heart to pray for somebody. So I do, right? And sometimes I don't, be honest with you, right? Which is a sin. Because God is clearly instructing me to do something and then I don't do it, right? But we have to draw the line somewhere. And I realized that where God draws the line, the only thing that is that important, that is like earth-shattering, is my communion with Him. 
is me being in union with him. That's, that should be the only thing that is like bar none, zero compromise. Everything else, as God instructs me. You still feel like I, it's a cop-out? Maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Not my circus, not my monkey. Not my circus, <laughs> not my monkey. Not my monkey. <laughs> That's number one. And number two is, um, I struggle a lot with the burden thing, particularly because I feel like, I think maybe sometimes God calls us as servants to take on the burden of other people with them. Maybe. Um, or maybe that's just me being like uber emotional, like as a person. And so when somebody is struggling with somebody whom I love, mm -hmm. particularly people whom I serve, um, I feel like I have to, you know, like be like Job's friends and go and sit with them in their service. Yes. So um, I think Rom and I have had this conversation so many times because he, like, he tells me there's only. Like, there has to be a boundary because you're going to then go and fall into depression if you're going to take on, if you're going to go into suffering with every single person. The point is, what are you going to do about it? Whether it's your burdens or their burdens, that's yeah. in your control to do. Right. Like you just, you do what you can and that's it. You, you rest comfortable knowing that you did what you can. Right. And you pray for them and khalas, you left it in God's hands. So, and then my issue is, I guess, until that person is out of the pit, I, I stay, I, or us as servants, do we stay in the pit with them? Or are we called to like then be like, no, there's a point where I need to take care of my own. Just yeah. where, where do we draw the line yeah. in terms of that? That's a great, so that's a great question. So, uh, yeah. I wanted to ask the question while you were saying the story about your friend from Montreal. Yeah. When you were saying like, I didn't like run the whole marathon with him. And yeah. I wanted to ask you, didn't, like, did you ever think that you might break if you ran the whole marathon with him? Like, no, I just, I was a 14-year-old kid who didn't quite have my own identity, was struggling with my own self-esteem issues, and getting called a loser repeatedly for 10 minutes twice a week was like more than I wanted, right? So eventually I just forget it, like, you know? Yeah, I mean, like, you could have been, like, if you continued calling them, just maybe you would have turned sour and ended up, like, not loving them at all. And yeah. So I mean, 14 years in college, you would have been, like, you know, yeah. like... So, uh, uh, so let, let me share a, 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 few, a few things. One, what you're talking about, Murray, is incredibly important. And um, not my circus, not my monkey. Yes, but sometimes God comes and tells me, your circus and your monkey, right? 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 So, you know, you had, you know, right? So don't, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you something. I don't know about how thing you got th things are with you and God. But I, I've rarely found that God was shy to, 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 to rebuke me. Yesterday, uh, I, I met one of my uh, 